Hello and thank you for listening to episode 456 of 60MW. I'm Dave and this is another of our interview shows. And in this one I chat with screenwriter Larry Wilson. Well, you're in for a treat. You're going to hear stories all about Beetlejuice, The Addams Family, The Little Vampire, Tales from the Crypt, James Cameron, Walter Hill... Uh, Larry's new website, all about his screenwriting course, of which the link for that is in the podcast notes, so please go and check that out. Uh, Before we get into the chat, just a couple of little things. I'm releasing this show on Monday the 25th of July, which is my birthday. And the reason I'm saying that is, what a great day to leave the podcast a review if you haven't already. That would be such an awesome birthday present to me. So I said this, I don't say it on every show, but a little reminder on each one. But wouldn't today be the perfect day? Or if you're listening to this and it's a few days or even weeks or maybe even years afterwards, you could retroactively get me a really nice birthday present just by spending a few minutes writing a review. Uh, You can put it on wherever you want, wherever you're listening to this show. If it's, um, well, wherever it is, please email me and let me know so I don't miss it. Or you can just email us a review and I can put it onto the listener feedback page on the website, uh, the details of which I will, of course, give you at the end of the show. One other thing is uh, you may or may not, depending on if you follow us on Twitter or not, there's another thing, follow us on Twitter at 60MW Podcast. We do on Ko-fi have a treasured supporters, which only costs a pound a month. You can donate more if you want to, but it's just a pound a month. And that gets you all sorts of things. Some of them, some of the perks that you get for this. And again, none of our shows will be hidden behind a paywall. Uh, but I do like to give a little bit extra to our treasured supporters. So one of the things is they are informed of interview guests early. So they knew that I was interviewing Larry a good few days before I put it on social media. They do get the chance to put questions forward for interview guests. And in this one, just the other day, I did send them 10 minutes of unreleased chat between me and Larry. Because some of the guests, depending on how much time I get to interview them, I just do like to have a chat before we record the actual on-air stuff. And afterwards, of course. So I sent them 10 minutes of our pre-show chat, which included stuff about us both being a mutual Kiss fan, uh, about Larry living in Amsterdam. So that's just one of the perks you get for being a treasured supporter. So if you didn't know that, please go and check that out. Links to it are all over the website as well. So there, that's enough of me uh, trying to get a review birthday present from you and telling you about our treasured supporters. Let's get on to the meat and potato of the show, the reason why you downloaded it. And let's go on to me and Larry Wilson having a chat all about his continued career as a screenwriter. Larry Thank you for joining me. I've been looking forward to chatting to you and it's great. And again, in this digital age that I can chat to you and I can see you as well over there in Amsterdam. So hello. Yes. Yeah. Well, hello, Dave. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. So much to chat about. I mean, the obvious start for for me, as well as all of our listeners worldwide, is screenwriting. I've had writers on before. But screenwriting, and it's an obvious question to begin with, and I do apologise, but how did you get into screenwriting? Why screenwriting? Well, you know, I I moved to Los Angeles when I was 17 years old with a desire to be in the movie business. I had a love of horror films, particularly. I wanted to do something uh, that that would get me near a horror movie, was my (laughs) first motivation. And, but I wasn't quite sure what it was going to be. And, uh, but I'd grown up uh, loving reading. My mother was a huge reader and kind of taught me a love of books and a love of reading. And I actually took a screenwriting class. It was a standalone class, not attached to any university or anything. And I had a teacher say to me, uh, you you could probably do this. I like what I'm reading. And oh my God, this was the first teacher who had ever said anything kind about me. Oh, <laughs> I was not, I, I, school and me didn't mix so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that just, that just was so inspiring. And, you know, and, and it, it sometimes I think it takes that one voice, someone saying, yeah. You know, you, you should you should try this. You can do this. And I started, and I started writing, 
And uh, that's that's a long journey that we can talk about. But that that was that was the, the light bulb moment. Having this teacher just say, "I I think you can do this." Um, it's and, interesting you were saying about your love of horror movies because it was. I mean, I'm a huge cinephile, and it was horror movies that hooked me initially. Watching the the late night Hammer movies over here in the UK, uh-huh, yeah. and, you know, I've heard from so many people that horror genre is what dragged a lot of people in. But unfortunately, it's the horror genre that gets a lot of flack, especially from the. I don't know what it's like. You know, you've you've lived in America, you're over in in Holland now. What it's like, but the horror genre is the one out of all of them that gets a lot of flack for people. Well, I think it's a genre where. It has the best fans, the best writers, the the best to do with everything yeah. in the business. And, and you've worked, yeah, you know, you obviously know, I, we're going to talk about horror films that you've worked on. What do you think about that? Oh, I think it, I think it's absolutely true. And, and it's uh, one of the things that makes it so appealing when you're, you know, you, you're, you're young and you're feeling maybe the first inkling of some kind of rebellion. I mean, it's the perfect <laughs> genre for it. But, you know, Dave, I was so lucky because I had a very patient mother who saw, I, I, think, I think what she saw was that she saw those movies actually meant something to me mm. uh, and, and meant something, you know, and so she would take me to see all the horror movies she wouldn't have, didn't want to see it all. And, and so, I mean, I sort of had an accepting household with my obsessions and they did become obsessions, but, but it's absolutely, it, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's been a despised genre. It's been a reviled genre. Uh, that's changed a bit, I think, mm. because, because uh, it, there's now a lot of acknowledgement that, you know, you, you, there's truly great horror films. There's yeah. truly meaningful horror films. And it's become a much more mainstream proposition. Mm-hmm. But the, the horror films I grew up with, and uh, I, I, I'm, I'm guessing you too, uh, even even when they were good, and a lot of them were very good in terms of like uh, the, the, the gatekeepers and the powers that be, they were trash, you know, they, and, and, but, but tr- trash can be very appealing at times, oh, if definitely. I dare say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are some of your uh, favorite horror films then that you watched at an early age? Which ones drew you in? Well, the, the big one that I always have to talk about, uh, because it's my truly my favorite movie of all time, uh, always was, always is now, and always will be, is The Bride of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Oh, great film. And, you know, yeah, and I saw it on television uh, in Los Angeles. There was uh, something called Shock Theater, mm-hmm. and what had happened was is that the Universal had packaged all of those classic Universal horror movies together and sold them to television. And Shock Theater presented the Universal horror movies, and you know the host arrived in a coffin and came out and then introduced <laughs> the movie. You know, like wonderful, uh, and. I loved all those universal horror movies. I still do, but Bride of Frankenstein just stood out. It just, uh, uh, there was, there was, well, because it's an extraordinary film, I I think it's just a a, a perfect film. I I say that all the time. It really is. And it's a very audacious film because, oh my God, it goes through so many tone shifts. (laughs) It's frightening sometimes. It's got this wonderful camp comedy sensibility at times it's high melodrama at times it's tragic at times you know the frankenstein monster becomes like a christ metaphor he's literally hanging from a cross at some point yeah. and and there was there and, and it's incredibly poignant uh um at times and that that movie just just rang a a, a bell in me and it it was as much as I loved that whole universal package, that was the one. And, you know, Dave, I had a, I was so lucky a few years ago, I got to see, see it on a big screen, a very pristine oh, new wow. print of it. Oh, and I don't think I'd ever seen it on, on a, on a, on a theater screen before. And all these years later and having, having seen it, I don't know how many times it's absolutely as good as I thought it was. Uh, I think it is, and so that 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 was the big one. That that was that was the the where the inspiration came from. And it's surprising, isn't it? What a difference seeing a film 
on a big screen can make as well. Oh yeah, it is. Uh, and and I, I I saw it with an audience, and I I was actually uh, teaching. I was probably teaching. Uh, I know we're going to talk about my teaching later, uh, but I was probably teaching one of my horror and fantasy workshops that I do. And and I know if I was that I was uh, going on about Bride of Frankenstein <laughs> because I always do. And uh, some of my, and I did not know they were going to show up, but some of my students showed up at the same screening and they had heard me talk about it. And for them, it was like ancient, you know, like it was made, what was it? 1936, I think. And they all came out going, oh, wow, you were right. This movie's amazing, yeah. which made me feel great. Yeah. It's, you're going to hate this, but I've had, mm. I've had people who have refused to watch films purely because they're in black and white and no matter what i say to them it's watch them they're incredible yeah. no no they won't watch it so their loss i guess it is it is it is their loss and uh it's something that i i talk about when i teach is uh, get over your fear of black and white because you're missing hundreds and hundreds oh, yeah. and hundreds of great films definitely definitely yeah. well let's let's begin with 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 your writing one I mean, obviously, I've got to talk about this. We bought, uh, I think it was like a month or two ago when it was released, was the 4K Blu-ray of Beetlejuice. Oh, wow. Now, I remember the first time I watched it, um, there was the cinema, then VHS, of course. Mm -hmm. And then I got it on DVD, and now we've got it on this 4K Blu-ray, which looks like in, in, absolutely incredible. And it's such, such a good film. And, I mean, just tell us the... the everything to do with Beetlejuice, which I'm sure you've done many times. Hopefully we can get some, some, some other things as we go along, but I just love, I just love that movie. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'll give, I'll give you the, the hopefully quick history of, <laughs> uh, of Beetlejuice. Uh, I had been uh, a screenwriter. Uh, I was having problems. I was having writer's block is what I was having, but oh. I was working at, I'm, I'm going back a little bit, but this works its way yeah, to Beatles yeah. very, very naturally. Uh, um, so I was suffering a case of writer's block, but I was working in pictures as a script reader and a story analyst, and I got a chance to become a studio executive. And uh, I auditioned for it with, uh, with, at that time, it was Jeff Katzenberg and Michael Eisner who went on to run Disney, you know, famous Hollywood film uh, uh, producers, uh, studio executives. And I, I got the job and I was doing it well. Uh, I then went to work for the great director, Walter Hill, doing development oh. for him. He's, and he's, I've got to say, he's he's one of the directors, and this is going back again to VHS films. Mm -hmm. If a film came out and it said directed by Walter Hill, it immediately I had to watch it. He's one of those directors for me. He is, yeah. I, I mean, he, he's, he's a... He's a in in literally and figuratively a, a classic Hollywood director. And I, I had gotten to know Walter at Paramount when he was doing 48 hours there. He asked me to come over and, and run the development department of this new company he was starting, which I did. This is all leading to Beetlejuice, I promise mm -hmm. you. Uh, and, and my job that I was assigned was to find uh, – a uh, writer for aliens the alien sequel okay. and i say and i can say it truthfully that i was uh responsible for bringing jim cameron james cameron into that project uh i discovered james cameron for alien aliens i should say but the thing i always say about that if you had my job and you met james cameron and you didn't know he was going to be the James Cameron. You did not deserve my job. I mean, you know, it's just the fact of it. Yeah, I when I uh, when I first met uh, James Jim, uh, uh, Terminator had wasn't had been released. I forget where exactly where it was uh, in uh, in production. Uh, but I read the script. I read the script of the Terminator. And just thought this is something special. And then I met him. And, you know, he's a force of nature. I mean, he just, you know, he's, oh, he's, wow. he's just that person. You know, yeah. just, uh, you, know you, you feel his genius. I don't know how else to say it. Mm -hmm. uh, so anyway, so, I, you know, I, I 
helped uh, Jim get, you know, he went on to, of course, to write and direct Aliens, and which was a great accomplishment for that job as, as a director of development. But I felt, I, I was starting to feel empty about it because I was missing writing. I just, I, I, that, and that feeling finally became overwhelming. And I thought I've got to make a, I, I've got to go back and, and try to be a writer again, yeah. uh, which is what I did. And I, I, uh, and, and I'll try to shorten a very long story now. Um, I met my two Beetlejuice partners, a writer named Michael McDowell, who I wrote the screenplay with and a producer named Michael Bender, who co-produced Beetlejuice with me. Um, and is one of the great unsung heroes of Beetlejuice, actually. Uh, 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 and so I always want to mention Michael Bender. Yeah. But so with the, the two Michaels, as I refer to them, I were sitting around deciding we were going to work together. What are we going to do? And I said, let's do a psychedelic ghost comedy. And who knew what that meant, right? I mean, it's, it's, it, it just sounded right. Uh, and... Uh, so uh, then uh, over over the weekend, uh, Michael McDowell, my writing partner, called me and said, okay, here it is. It's the humans haunting the ghosts. And that was like, oh, wow. Okay, that, that's that singular moment you want in a movie idea. Yeah. It just, it just opens up such a, you know, it's, it's so many ideas for a story. Yeah, the humans haunting the ghosts. So I said, that's great. That's awesome. And... Then I said, and uh, the, the, the ghosts are too nice to scare the, the humans, you know, the, you know, led, led by the wonderful Catherine O'Hara, you know, the, the humans that, that, that take over the ghost house, Barbara and Adam, Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin, they're, they're, they're like these hideous, trendy New Yorkers. And, and Barbara and Adam uh, want them out of the house, but they're too nice to be scary. This was all happening over a weekend, by the way, Dave. Michael Whoa. and I going back and forth, yeah. figuring this out. So what we said next was, okay, they're, they're, the, the ghosts are too nice to scare the humans out of the house. They need a gunfighter. They need to have someone come in and, and, and clean up the house, yeah. And so a demonic gunfighter, and that led to a ta the first discussion about the character Beetlejuice. And what I said was, and I think this really set the tone for the character, I said he's Groucho Marx from hell. <laughs> and yeah. for, for, for all of uh, you youngsters out there, if you've never seen Groucho Marx, uh, get thee to Google and watch Groucho, <laughs> particularly in Duck Soup which is like one of my all time favorite movies. Uh, and that, so the initial inspiration for, for uh, the character of Beetlejuice was Groucho Marx from Hell. As a matter of fact, in the very first draft of Beetlejuice, uh, uh, Beetlejuice fans out a deck of cards and says, never mind that, pick a card which is like the first line that Groucho Marx says in Duck Soup. But in in, uh, in Beetlejuice, the deck he fans out is a tarot deck and Barbara and Adam pick out the card and it's the death card. I, I, I think this was deemed as too dark for what we were going for, but but uh, but so the Groucho Marx from, from hell, uh, the, the, it's the humans haunting the ghosts. The ghosts are, are too nice to scare the humans. That was all sort of over a long weekend, as I remember it. And then we were ready to write. Yeah. How long was the writing process in total then, you know, more or less? More, more or less, the first draft, I would say, came in about, mm, I, I want to say six months, maybe. Yeah. Something like that. And then uh, uh, there, there's a whole development story, a screenplay <laughs> development story, that that uh, that I'm, I'm going to save uh, because it's a it's a long story. For when I do, I'm, I'm going to one of the uh, which I know we're going to talk about later. One of the classes I'm going to be teaching is uh, mm -hmm. I'm going to be teaching the fundamentals of screenwriting according to Beetlejuice. And I do, I do want to talk about the development project in that class and how the Hollywood machine works, okay. because because what between the first draft 
and what was finally on the screen. There was a long journey in that. I should imagine so. Yeah. I, I always think with all of the roles within Hollywood, you know, people in front of the camera and behind the camera, I always think, and please correct me if I'm wrong, mm. that being the writer must be one of the most frustrating things to be, while also one of the most rewarding as well. For the fact, the, the way that I'm thinking of it is, eventually you get to see your characters and your story and your words up on the screen that didn't exist until you yeah. created them. But on the flip side of that, I should imagine once you get involved in that Hollywood machine and they want changes made and the things, the ideas that you've got, and you think this is really good, but then it's got to be changed. That's the frustrating side of it. So it must be, it's sort of that yin yang. It's, it's really, it's really frustrating, but it's really rewarding. It, it's, 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 it's very much yin yang. And uh, what I always say about the, the screenwriter is with, with a, a rare couple of exceptions, a rare couple of exceptions, you're kind of like a captain in the army where you're able to dine with the colonels and the generals, <laughs> right? Yeah, and you yeah, actually yeah. even ask respectful questions by the colonels <laughs> and the generals. But the minute the battle goes wrong, you're the first one put up against the wall and shot. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's amazing the, the attitude in Hollywood about how expendable writers can be. Now, I've been pretty fortunate, actually, and I've also fought for it. I, I've hung on pretty tightly to, to the films that I've been involved in. And I think part of that is because I'd been a studio executive and I kind of knew how the game was played. Yeah. Um, uh, but, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's definitely, uh, well, as you said, the, there's the yin and the yang to it. Yeah, yeah. And the, the one thing I'll say, though, is that it is a collaborative medium movies. Mm, yeah. And, and, and it, one of the biggest days of my life in terms of just something I felt like such a sense of accomplishment was the first day Beetlejuice was, was starting to shoot. Uh, I went to the, 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 to the lot where it was shooting and I saw that Michael McDowell and I with this idea that we had basically started over a weekend and employed hundreds of people, if you think about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that was like, wow, you know, that that was like really amazing. Um, so uh, so uh, there's, there's that that wonderful side of it. And, and yeah, when you see your words and when it's done right and, and you feel good about it, uh, great. But can it be incredibly frustrating? Can it lead to, well, if you choose to let it make you bitter? Yeah, because because there's that famous Hollywood expression, development hell. Yeah. And uh, that's that screenwriters end up in where you're rewriting and rewriting and rewriting. And and you lose you lose track of what you even started with. And that that can happen. I've been in development hell and it's no fun. Oh, I should imagine not. <laughs> no, no. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but but uh, for, for me, thankfully, uh, a lot more good than bad, a lot more positive than negative. Yeah, which is a, like a nice thing to be able to see, to see, to say. I should say, yeah. Did you? Because you obviously, you know, you said you were on the set of Beetlejuice. Did you at any point, or have you managed to keep any sort of any tiny little bits of memorabilia? If it was me. Even if it was a stone from the floor of the set, I'd want to keep it just as, yeah. again, that that's something that was just originally in my head and now th there's a physical yeah. piece there for it. Well, I'm going to tell you a, a truly a sad story, Dave, about that, that, uh, yes, I had, I had a very nice scrapbook of, of Beetlejuice that had some really lovely pieces of memorabilia attached to it. And I had a house fire and it <gasps> burned up. Oh uh, no! Yeah, and a, 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 as a collector, Dave, I'm sure you can appreciate that. Also, it went up in smoke with all of my LPs, oh. and uh, <laughs> you know, so that 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 was a very Zen moment where I said, "Well, I can, I I got to let it go, or I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna brood about it the rest yeah. of my life." Yeah. yeah. You could really let that drag you down, couldn't yeah, you? If you, yeah, if, if yeah. you let it to. Have you yeah. got? Have you got any movie memorabilia at all now, Larry? Oh my gosh! You know, um, yes, I, I have some. Uh, the the uh, 
if you, I don't know if you remember the handbook for, for the recently deceased, uh, it was, it's the book that the ghost Barbara and Adam yeah, find yeah. that lets them know that they're truly dead. <laughs> I, I, I've got some lovely, like, uh, there, there were promotional book covers that were being passed out, uh, at the premiere of the movie. I've got a few of those. I don't, but, but all of the original stuff I had, and it was true for the Adams family also, which I had some really lovely stuff from the Adams family. It all went up in smoke. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. As, as a collector myself, that is quite heartbreaking. <laughs> I would hate to think. Yeah. I would, I would like to think that I would do the same as you, Larry, that if it, if it did, God forbid it doesn't, but if it did, I could just let it go. Well, I, I, I won't say it was that easy, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but I, but I, I, I made a, a good attempt and, and fine. And, you know, you do finally realize, well, there's nothing you're going to do to bring it back. Yeah. What was it like the first time that you watched Beetlejuice then? And where was it? Did you get to see it? Was it a premiere or anywhere? Was it in a cinema or where yeah. was it? Yeah. Well, the, the, the first time I saw it was, was, at, and this was, you know, this, this was, um, I'd had a, a, a TV episode uh, from the, they, they did a new version of the anthology show, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Mm -hmm. They had colorized the, those great Alfred Hitchcock introductions and uh, then written a new, uh, well, we wrote a new, uh, new episodes to, to the, the Hitchcock introductions. And I'd had a TV episode produced that Tim Burton directed, which is where I met Tim. And it was the first thing my writing partner, Michael McDowell and I, uh, did together. But then Beetlejuice was the next one and the big one. And I saw it first at a test screening. Uh, ah. where, you know, you, you bring in an audience and, and they're, yeah. and they, you know, and they watch the movie They're as they say, civilians, you know, uh, and they watch the movie and then they're given scorecards. And that was, that was really fascinating because it fundamentally worked, which was like the main thing, but there were things that, that needed to be adjusted, needed to be changed, uh, uh, so, so I first saw it at a test screening, which again was like a great learning experience for me. Yeah. In terms of pace, uh, 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 when you introduce characters, a lot, a lot of different things. But then I saw it. I, I saw it opening night uh, at, at in in Los Angeles at at a a big multiplex cinema called Universal, mm -hmm. and. Uh, it was it was it was quite amazing because uh, there uh, there there were a lot of teenagers. The movie played exactly, I think, for many of us, but how I hoped it would play. That a lot of people truly loved it, truly loved it. You could tell, you could just feel it in yeah, the audience. Yeah, yeah. There was kind of electricity. Some people. I don't, we're going, what is this thing? <laughs> you know, which <laughs> you know, was like, great. You know, it, it, it wasn't like another piece of eighties cheese. It was, you know, it was yeah, something yeah. special. Yeah. And you were either going to, you were either going to love it or, or maybe hate it or at least actively dislike it. So I thought, okay, cool. That's good. And, and, but I came back the next night and I think you probably remember and all you Beetlejuice fans, uh, hopefully remember, uh, you know, the Winona Ryder character, Lydia, the goth girl, you know, who is, is really like in many ways, the emotional heart of the story. Yeah. Uh, well, the next night uh, I came back to, to watch it again. And there were all of a sudden scores of teenage girls dressed like Lydia. <laughs> they, they, had, they had found, you know, the, their goth accessories. And yeah. that's when I thought, okay, we, we've got a hit on our hands yeah. because it's resonating and resonating in, in the way that all of us wanted it. And I was very proud of that too, because the character of Lydia was really a, a, my idea, my creation. And, and I, I had a, I, I'm sure Dave, you remember the band, The Cure. Well, The Cure is still yeah, out there. Yeah. There's still, yeah. you know, brilliant band that I loved. Um, and I, I went to, uh, when I, you know, they were, they were, uh, you know, sort of, sort of the, uh, the, the poster, uh, band of, of the goth movement. Mm. 
And I, I, I wasn't a goth. I was too old to be a goth, but I loved the band. And I'd gone to see them in concert. And I said, and it was kind of a joke, but it kind of wasn't like, I went to a concert with 15,000 girls dressed in black, you know, like teenage <laughs> girls, you know, they, you know, like Cure fans. And I always thought those girls fascinated me. And I thought, oh my God, one day I'm going to write something about the, the, that goth girl yeah. subculture. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, it, Beetlejuice was the opportunity to do that. But, but that was, so I had seen it in a test screening, very interesting very much, you know, like a, a learning experience. Then I saw it that first night, divided the audience, but more people loving it than not, than thinking it was just too bizarre. And then seeing it that next night with, with you know, the, the girls coming dressed as Lydia, yeah. I just thought, okay, we're, we're going to be fine. Oh, definitely. Yeah. How did it work then? Because you said, you know, with creating that character of, of Lydia, how did that then work with when you were working on the Adams family, when you've got characters that people already are familiar with and the characteristics are known and so yeah. on, what was it like then writing the Adams family? Well, it, it was a different, it was a different experience because, because you get uh, more pressure on you from the studios because, because it's created characters or did you get a bit more, I'm not going to say freedom, but creative, no, creative freedom to go elsewhere. Well, here, here was the thing about the Adams family. Uh, most, most people uh, think it sort of originated with there was a '60s TV sitcom, The Adams Family. Uh, the, but the real origin of it is these great single-panel uh, cartoons that appeared in New Yorker magazine for like several decades. And uh, when uh, when my writing partner Caroline Thompson and I that was our, the first source of our inspiration were those cartoons because, mm. because they're, 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 they're wonderfully morbid, very <laughs> funny, very, very dark. Uh, uh, and, but we were, um, I, I don't want to say we, we were hemmed in, but there, there, we did have a responsibility to the characters as people knew them mm. And, and knew them from the TV show. I mean, we had to present a, a version of the Adams family. Yeah. And, but we did, we, we did find ways to, I think, uh, in a comedic way, deepen the characters. Uh, we found, we found more for them to do. Uh, uh, and we had, a, we had a brilliant uh, producer, uh, Scott Rudin, who's, one of the legendary Hollywood producers and has made produce great film after great film after great film. And the thing that Scott did for my partner, Caroline and I was he let us fail a lot of times. We were, we were trying to come up with a story idea, try to come up with a plot. And, and it was hard actually. And mm -hmm. I, the thing that made it hard was that everything, you know, it's always your, your, your classic movie protagonist, your classic movie hero, something goes very wrong in their life that they are then are on a quest to go fix. Right. I mean, that's sort of what drama is in many yeah. ways, but with the Adams family, everything that we think could go wrong, they're like, great. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're, it's all good for them. So, so Scott, you know, so finding a story was something, you know, Scott uh, really had the patience to let us work through. And we would come in with some stuff that we would, you know, talk about and then we realize, Oh my God, no, that's not it. And we'd go back. And in, in the Hollywood system, the way it is, uh, maybe a producer with less uh, foresight and insight, less talent would have just said, well, you're not, you know, you've had two chances now to come up with a story. Now you're gone, but that wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And great as well with Beetlejuice, and it carried into the the Adams family. Some great casting for the films as well. Oh my gosh, yeah, uh, that was so. You know, Beetle, Beetlejuice was just superbly cast. Yeah. Um, um, and I I knew I, I always well of course well the entire cast of course Michael Keaton, you know what what he did with that character. I mean, it's completely iconic. But I always of course think of Catherine O'Hara too because. I loved her from a, a long ago uh, 
Canadian show SCTV, which was like one of the great sketch comedy shows of all time. Uh-huh. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the Adams family, I mean, the first, you know, like the, the read through the first read through of the script, I'm sitting there all of a sudden, well, here's Angelica Houston to the left of me. Here's Raul <laughs> Julia to the right of me, you know, wow. Yeah. <laughs> what was it like being producer as well on these films? Because I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure some of the listeners out there go in, well, what is a producer? And I know a producer has to wear so many different hats and depending. Um, well, but what, what well, was I, your role within this as a producer? Yeah, well, I, I, on the, I was not a producer on the Adams Family. I was one of the producers on the Beetlejuice. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, on Beetlejuice. And I, I think a lot of what I brought to it was in the development stage, in the stage of it being written and then rewritten and then rewritten and then going <laughs> going back to the original it, it was a long process yeah and i think that what i was able to do because i had been a studio executive i understood how it worked i was able to keep us um from being devoured by the machinery uh-huh. i okay. i was very helpful in that let's yeah. put it like that yeah. I kind of I kind of knew how to play the game. I kind of understood that sometimes you give something away to keep something bigger that's more critical. Um, and I always have to say too, this had nothing to do with David Geffen, who's the you know the, it's the Geffen company that produced the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the development he wasn't involved in the development that I knew about, and if, were it not for him, the movie never would have gotten made. Uh, but but there was there there was a lot of back and forth. Um, which, which I, I talk about in more detail when I teach uh, because we could go on for hours here about yeah, it. But, I, I, but, it, but it, that was my job on that. Then I was a producer on a movie called The Little Vampire. Be, became uh, uh, the troubleshooter on a very troubled production. Well, uh, I had never seen The Little Vampire. I've seen everything else. I'd never mm. seen The Little Vampire. I watched it for the first time just yesterday. Oh my God! Really? Oh, really? And yeah. I really, I really enjoyed it. Oh yeah, it, 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 uh, it turned out better than maybe it had any right to, <laughs> given the problems on the, on the set and everything. I mean, it was, it, 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 it was, it was a very, very difficult movie, but, but it, it, it's, it's so funny how that happens because. You know, you, you come out of it and there's been, you know, ego clashes and fights and temper, tempers flaring and all of this stuff going on. And I remember when when the when the, the production was finally done going, oh, well, everyone has a train wreck and this is mine. <laughs> you know, the, this is uh, here it is. You know, I, I've had these two spectacular successes with. Beetlejuice and the Adams family. So it was time, you know, third time train wreck, but, <laughs> but, it, but we were able to pull it together and, and a great editor was able to edit it. And I actually think it's a very entertaining little movie. It is. Yeah. It really is. I, yeah. I really, I really enjoyed it. And you see, this is the thing that as just as, you know, as movie watchers and a lot, a lot of people don't even figure into their heads. There's so much that goes into making a movie. From all different sides, from just the idea generation of you as a writer through to all the people that have got to be involved to make it. And I guess there is the, there is so much that could go wrong at different stages as well. So the yeah. very fact that we end up with a finished movie is miraculous sometimes. You know, it was a classic moment in that, like, like things that you don't expect, but the, there they are. Uh, the movie moved. It was, it, my first, I, you know, I, I've, I've lived in uh, Scotland now for a while uh, before I moved to the Netherlands. But my first uh, experience in, in Scotland was in Edinburgh, mm-hmm. uh, which I, I which I love that city now. But I always say there's nothing like a movie to ruin a city for you. <laughs> because <laughs> it's just... That, that that there was so many complications on the, on that movie, but then the production moved to Germany uh, to a, a studio, a soundstage that was that was uh, part of the Universal theme park there. Oh, so so the soundstage, the only, it, 
it wasn't really soundproof. So you would hear throughout the day the sound of a roller coaster going, you know, and it would it would ruin take after take after take. I mean, it's stuff like that 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 you know that that then I'm I'm not only like sort of you know producer slash troubleshooter producer slash keeping people from tearing each other apart. But then I'm having to rewrite every day for the catastrophe that had happened the day before. And that, that one, uh, but, but, but so, so I could tell all the horror stories and in certain situations, uh, you know, like what I teach, I, I, I kind of level with people. I feel like I kind of owe people, you know, (laughs) honesty when, when, when I'm teaching them about all this stuff. But, uh, but again, it's like amazing that I, I, I watched the movie, I forget why exactly, but again, a couple of years ago and I thought, you know what, it actually turned out pretty darn well. Yeah. 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 It, it yeah. Did. yeah, yeah. I, had a, I had a great time with it. Oh, that's brilliant. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah. Um, what, what, are there any huge differences between working on something for the cinema as opposed to TV? Because Tales from the Crypt, I used to love Tales from the Crypt and originally because I couldn't see it on TV over here in the UK um, because I was all split into different regions and so on. I right. had to wait until they came out on VHS. Oh, I remember wow. the first okay. time I watched them was their VHS release. And then it was a few years later, The I think it was late night TV over here, I got to watch them. Oh, I used to really look forward to the latest Tales from, <laughs> from the Crypt video that would come yeah. in and watch them. So is there, are there any big differences between that? I know well, it's, a, it's a shorter format, isn't it? Of course. Yeah, and... and uh... Uh, I, I wrote for six seasons uh, on Tales from the Crypt. I wrote and directed an episode that I'm actually uh, very proud of. Uh, it's called The Doctor of Horror. Um, and the thing of the and the the beauty of that show was that it was at that time probably one of the best. Not probably it was. It was one of the best run shows in Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, the, the showrunner, uh, Gil Adler, was incredibly professional, a great crew. Uh, and and but but we, you know, the, the scripts, I, I quickly learned they had to be 21 pages, not 20 pages, not 22 <laughs> pages, 21 pages. It was that tightly formatted. Yeah. And uh so that was a difference. You you didn't have the luxury that you have in a movie to make it run a bit longer, mm-hmm. or, or 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 you know, or, or or well, I mean, a movie can be the length of that that a movie is, obviously. Yeah. But Tales from the Crypt, twenty one pages, which equal twenty one minutes. Um, then there was, uh, you know, obviously the schedule limitations. Uh, they were shot. Which, which is quite extraordinary because they're very polished. And each one is like a miniature movie. That's the thing yeah, that's beauty yeah. about, about it because because it's an anthology show. And, uh, and you know, uh, there were like a lot of great directors who came in and, you know, Robert Zemeckis. I wrote an episode that was directed by William Friedkin of, you know, Exorcist name. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but five days, a five-day schedule. And then when I finally got it and, and five, five days and you had to get in and out on time, there wasn't, yeah. uh, it just, it just was the nature of it. And when I, when I actually finally got a chance to write and direct an episode, the schedule was reduced to four days, oh, uh, which, God. you know, so, I mean, I, I think that that's, uh, the biggest difference in television is, uh, you're, you're, I don't, you're, you're on a clock. Uh, you're, you're, you're dealing with a format. You're, you're dealing probably with less, you know, though, though this is changing, of course, with Netflix and all that, the productions are getting huge, but, but classic TV, uh, yeah, there, there, there were limitations, but you could make the limitations work for you. And I actually love the discipline of, I have 21 pages or Gil Adler is going to yell at me. You know, I mean, it was, it was, it, 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 it tightened up my writing. There's no doubt about yeah. it. What was your fondest memory then looking back on the episode that you wrote and directed from, from you being behind the camera and directing it? What's what stands out when you look up back on that now? Well, I, 
first of all, that um, it, it was a story that meant something to me, uh, genuinely. I was finally able to have the mad doctor of my dreams in it, uh, <laughs> which, you know, from the Bride of Frankenstein yeah, yeah. to the two of the great mad doctors of all time in one movie. And I was kind of able to combine the two. Uh, the two mad doctors from the Bride of Frankenstein. And I finally got to have a mad doctor say, oh, not much. I'm just going to play God, which, you know, it's like the ultimate, it's like the ultimate mad doctor line. And I, I, I finally, I was finally able to write it, you know, and, oh, not much, just play God. And, and, and you know, and, and, and give that to an actor who did a brilliant job with it. But the, the thing, I, I guess what that was most memorable for me because I went into it, I mean, I was given an opportunity to direct, uh, which was like a big deal, actually. I had not directed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I had watched just a, a few weeks before. The, the Tales from the Crypt, the way it was set up, uh, there were... There were, there were, you know, there, there were A-list directors like Robert Zemeckis, William Freakin, Walter Hill. But there were also, there were people who, for various reasons, were giving an opportunity to direct. Yeah, and I had watched uh, a couple of weeks prior to uh, uh, my my chance. You know, when when I was going to get my shot, it may have been earlier even than a few weeks. But I'd watched a director completely go up in flames. He 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 and, and he uh, he didn't stick to the schedule. Uh, he was rude to the crew. This these great crews. And he was kind of honestly sent to his room and the crew finished it. And I thought, I am not going to be that person. Okay. <laughs> I am not going to be that, that director. Um, and I realized pretty quickly, I knew what I knew. I knew what I didn't know. Hmm. I had written the script. I knew the tone of it. I, I, I knew what, it, how, how I wanted it to feel. I could convey that. But if I had any questions, if I, if I didn't know it, I asked the crew, you know, help me, you know, uh, and, and they did. And, and the lovely thing then the memorable thing that happened, Dave was at the end, at the end of the shoot, we finished on time, like to the second and the crew gave me like a big ovation. Uh, and which was like amazing. Wow. Yeah. And, and what I, what I realized was it's very moving, actually. You know, yeah, I was a newbie, and I'd finish on schedule, on time, and it had gone really well. And and you could kind of feel on the set that it had, like, a really good, you know, crypt energy to it. But but I, I think I think that the crew was, uh, you know, uh, give, giving me a round of applause also because I treated them like they should be treated with, like, a lot of respect. Excellent. Yeah, and that that was that was uh, that that was actually a very. I still think about that moment sometimes. That is, that, I mean, that's another layer of of satisfaction and reward, completely, isn't it? It really is, you know, and, and more personal as well. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely was, and you know, I've I've worked with a well, the the big one, I suppose, being James Cameron, who was kind of, uh, I, I think, at one point, almost notorious for the battles he had with his crews. But the thing, the thing of it is, is that James Cameron is a genius, mm -hmm. and he might be able to light it better than the lighting crew. You know, I mean, <laughs> he he he's he knows it all. Yeah, and and you you kind of cut someone's well, you do. I mean, someone who's that brilliant, that much of an auteur, to use that overused word, but that much of an auteur, you you cut them the slack that they deserve to be cut. Uh, if that makes sense but for 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 me and i think for in most situations you, you know what you know you know what you don't know is a good mantra if you're going to yeah. step into a to being a director yeah and i i find all of this fascinating and what i do love as well is the website that you've got up now where people can people can learn from the great experience mm -hmm. i mean we've just heard just a little snippet of things that you've done but you're then passing this on to people, which I think is absolutely fantastic, Larry. I really do. Please tell us about the website and the, the, the link for it, of course, will be in the podcast notes. So everybody can just click on it and go to it. But yeah, please keep us uh, oh, yeah. updated and everything that's happening there. Yeah, great. Well, Dave, thank you. So th this is one thing that I, I, I want to say is I have um, 
been teaching. I, I, I've been working in the movie business as a screenwriter for 30 plus years. I've also been teaching for 30 plus years. I've always, they've always gone together for me. And I actually mm-hmm. find that um, teaching and, and writing work very well for me because when I'm teaching, I, it, it kind of keeps me honest is what it does because I'm, I'm with a group of students and, I, and I'm, I'm helping them uh, learn how to write a screenplay. I'm working with them, uh, doing notes for them. And I've really got to think what this process is. How does this work? How do you actually write a screenplay? How can I, how can I help you? And, and, the, and, and that reflects back on my work when I'm writing. I mean, I, I, it keeps me in kind of a, a constant state of, of reanalyzing my own work, if that makes sense. And so now I'm doing, it's called the Wilson workshop. Wilson, you can go to wilsonworkshop.com. I appreciate you having a link uh, uh, on the podcast and I'm going to be doing uh, screenwriting workshops, uh, weekends. There's going to be a, a sort of a classic weekend workshop. I, I, I teach, which I think is great for first time screenwriters Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, screenwriters who who want to refresh a course, or even people who uh, just want to sample something and think, do I really want to write a screenplay? I'm going to be teaching uh, a workshop that where I use Beetlejuice as the, the the model that I teach screenwriting to, and what that does, I can teach a very solid basic screenwriting class around Beetlejuice, uh, but I can also talk again about how how the, the, the actual movie making machine works. And I can yeah. give people a lot of insight on that part of that's screenwriting. Too. Yeah. 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 And then that's going to be the same for the Adams family too. We're going to do an Adams family workshop. Uh, and then I, I also, Dave, I, I do consultations where I, uh, people get submit a script to me. I read it. I give them very extensive screen screenwriting notes. I have like an hour conversation with them. Um, and I think that's, uh, where a lot of, well, I think I, I'm honestly, I'm going to say, I think I'm a very good screenwriting teacher also, but my consultations are, are really first rate, I think, because it's a job I did as a studio technique. My job was writing script notes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that yeah. was basically what I did. And I, I wrote script notes on, oh my God, I don't know how many projects. Um, and I'm, I'm good at it. And I, a lot, I, I, I'm good at helping people figure out the, their structure. I can work with them on dialogue. I can work with them on characterization. But I think also, and this is important, uh, I, I, and this comes from uh, my students or my consultation students telling me this, that I'm inspiring, that, that I yeah. actually can help them move to that next step creatively. And that always feels great to hear that. So we're going to be offering, uh, when I say we, my, my, my wife, Cynthia has been instrumental in getting this up and going with me. We're going to be offering uh, our screenwriting workshop. We're going to be offering Beetlejuice workshop, Adam's family workshop. I'm going to be doing individual script consultations. And, but the question I, I always say that people ask is, because Dave, I, 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 my guess is you're wary. If not, there are a lot of screenwriting teachers out there. Okay. Uh, my joke is that if you throw a brick in Hollywood, you'll probably hit a screenwriting teacher. Uh, so, so, you know, why Larry Wilson? Why, why, why do a workshop with me? Why do a consultation with me? Well, I, because I'm a working screenwriter. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I and I've had a screenwriting career and I'm, I'm going to say that that really separates me out from 90, 95% of the people who teach screenwriting. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've been a successful screenwriter and I'm still, I'm still in the trenches. I'm still working. And that yeah, just gives yeah. me an insight into uh, the, the, what it takes to write a screenplay, what it takes to write a screenplay that people want to read and what it takes to write a screenplay that can get made that I just don't think that honestly that you can have if you're not if you're not writing scripts yourself, you know it it it, it always you know uh, I, I sometimes I find it analogous to well I don't play the piano but I'll teach you how to play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So 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 yeah so the, the well the 
the wilsonworkshop.com it's there I, I hope that people will come check it out. I think they, if you're interested in writing scripts, uh, you'll find something there for you. And um, and damn it, Dave, I'm good at it. <laughs> well, yeah, why not? Put, why not put it out there that you are good at it? And I'm sure, for, you know, from this time with you, Larry, I'm sure people will already get a flavour of what they're going to get, and that it's going to be it's going to be informative, it's going to be insightful, it's going to be. It's going to be entertaining as well. It's going to be enjoyable. Oh yes, which, that's which, if if we're not laughing, I'm not happy because uh, <laughs> uh, that this it, it, it shouldn't be uh, it, it shouldn't be uh, hard work. It should be fun. These classes, yeah, the, yeah, that that's yeah. a really important point as well. Having having fun while you're doing this, I am, and I'm gonna. I do apologize in advance. I'm gonna put you on the spot here, Larry. Because okay. is there anything? you've watched lately where you've thought damn that was written well yeah uh there is and i oh please don't screw up the title <laughs> there. uh everything oh everywhere it, all at once yes yeah 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 that i loved uh it is it it, it is so much my sensibility and um I, I have a I have a new screenplay uh, called Loose Spooks that I'm now doing the second draft on, and I, I found that this is a personal reason. I think the sensibility of Loose Spooks kind of matches that movie, but uh -huh. I think that I think that movie is so. You watch it the first time, and it's just a ride. I mean, it, it's just it's so entertaining, and and it's so it's it, it's it's you know it's wild. I mean, it goes places you don't expect it to go. But then, if you watch it a second time, you see the intricacy of the writing in it, mm -hmm. and uh, I I think it's a it's a beautifully written movie. It's it's so good to hear as well uh, that you're still. You still get so much pleasure out of watching movies too. Oh my god, yeah, it's, it never ends. Which they, yeah. it, you know, it never ends. Yeah, that's good. Even yeah. being with deep entrenched in the business, and it's you know, you still love what's being put up on the screen. Yeah. Well. well, for the sake of the edit, Larry, we shall say goodbye again. Uh, people that want to go to the WilsonWorkshop.com, the notes will be in the podcast. So make sure you go and click, have a look, sign up, uh, and yeah, if 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 for any strange reason you haven't watched anything that we've just talked about, now's a good excuse to go and watch them. Yes. It, it, really, it really, then send us an email, let us know what you think. Like I said, I watched recently again, Little Vampire for the first time, loved it. Uh, new generations are coming. You know, you might not have seen Beetlejuice or The Addams Family, Tales from the Crypt. You get stuck into them. There's so much great stuff to watch out there. And there's so much great stuff to watch that's even in black and white, isn't there, Larry? Yes, <laughs> yes. Do not fear black and white. Please, no. yeah. <laughs> Go and watch it. Uh, so thank you so much for your time, uh, Thank Roy. you, Dave. This was wonderful. Thank you. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks very much. And the alarm bell, as always, brings to an end another interview show. I had a great time chatting with Larry. I could have talked to him for a lot longer. Hopefully, again, with these interview shows, you enjoyed listening to it just as much as I enjoyed recording it. Remember, at the start of the show, there's a couple of things you can do. You can leave the show a review. Uh, you can become a treasured supporter on Ko-fi. Go to the website for links for those. The website is, of course, 60mw.co.uk. Numerical 60, not alphabetical. Everything that we do is on there. All the links to our social media, the different format podcasts that we do. There's a world tour page. We've had a few more photographs sent in to us from across the world added to that. Again, if you're not sure what it is, go to the website, go across the links at the top and have a look at our world tour and get involved. That would be awesome. So thank you for listening. Until next time, we will be back again very soon.